September the 12th, 10.30 a.m. at South Congaree Arena. It's our one church event. Our Lexington campus, our West Columbia campus will come together as one church to worship, to hear incredible testimonies, to let God speak to us in a powerful way. You don't want to miss it. Again, September the 12th, 10.30 a.m., South Congaree Arena. Look forward to seeing you there. So on September the 12th, if you come here, you're going to be with a lot of screaming loud kids. If you want to be with adults, you need to be at South Congaree Arena, 1030. It's going to be a great day as both of our campuses come together as one church to hear testimonies, to worship together. It's going to be a great day. So hold up your Bible right now, and I want you to repeat after me our affirmation about God's Word, okay? You ready? This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe and how we live. Now take your Bible and turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Some of you probably know the name Polycarp. He was the bishop of the church in Smyrna in the second century. At 86 years of age, he was taken before the Roman authorities because he refused to bow down to the gods of Rome. He was urged to proclaim Caesar as Lord and put a pinch of incense on a statue of Caesar and everything would be okay. And after all, everyone was doing it. Everyone did that. Everyone proclaimed Caesar is Lord. But Polycarp refused. This is what he said. He said, 86 years I've served Christ and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? You threaten with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while it's quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Well, when Polycarp said that, they took him and they burned him at the stake. He was one of the first of many believers throughout the centuries of time who had been burned at the stake. And even today, all across the world, there are Christians who are literally burned alive simply because their faith in Jesus. Now, no one wants to be burned alive. Most of us would do anything and everything we could to avoid being burned alive. And I know this sounds really strange, but that's the problem. You see, too often we find ourselves avoiding the fires that come from following Christ rather than facing the fire with courage. Now we're in week three of our series in the book of Daniel. And Daniel and his friends had been taken into captivity in exile. They had been reprogrammed or they had attempted to reprogram them in the traditions, the religion, and everything else of Babylon. Now what you need to understand is biblically, 
Babylon is always a picture of the place where Satan rules. When we get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we read this about Babylon. It says, Babylon has made the nations of the world drink her immorality. Later on, it says this about Babylon. Babylon is the mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. We are told that Babylon will be judged at the end of this age. But here's the problem. As Christians, it's very easy for us to become comfortable in Babylon. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves embracing the values and even the gods of Babylon. And when we do, we may avoid the fires of the fiery furnace, but we will no longer look like the people of God. So this morning, I'm going to tell you how you can avoid the fiery furnace. And yet at the same time, I'm telling you that that would be the worst thing in the world for you to do. Now, the first thing that you can do to avoid the fiery furnace is this. Bow down to the gods of this world. Simple. Just bow down to the gods of this world. Uh, Listen to what it says beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dor in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, their nation, or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now remember, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this huge statue of a man. And this huge statue represented all the kingdoms of the world from from the time of Nebuchadnezzar to the end of the age. And Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. The Babylonian empire was the head of gold in that statue. But Nebuchadnezzar was told that his empire would come to an end. Then I imagine even after Daniel interpreted that dream for Nebuchadnezzar, that dream still haunted Nebuchadnezzar. Because who wants to build something? Who wants to accomplish something and then have it destroyed? So Nebuchadnezzar was determined that his kingdom was going to stand forever. And to show that, he built this gold statue. It was 90 feet high. It was 9 feet wide. It was made entirely of gold. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's statue, the head of gold representing Nebuchadnezzar, it was gold. Nebuchadnezzar made the entire thing gold. Some people tell us that that the statue was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know. It, It could have been. What we do know is that this statue was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar's pride. He wanted it to bring glory to himself because his heart 
was filled with pride. We see that over and over in this chapter, this book. But what you need to understand is that pride always leads to destruction. Pride was the first sin that brought down Lucifer, that brought down Satan and had him kicked out of heaven. We need to always guard against pride. But what I want you to also see here is a connection to another tower, an earlier tower that was built hundreds of years earlier. The Tower of Babel, a tower that was built, the Bible says, for the glory of man because of man's pride. Many believe that this statue that Nebuchadnezzar built was built on the exact same place that the Tower of Babel was built. Just as that tower was built to bring glory to man, we know that this statue that Nebuchadnezzar built was built to bring glory to himself. So once it was built, everyone was to come out to the plain of Dura. They would start playing music, and after the music stopped, then everyone, regardless of their race, regardless of their nation, regardless of their language, was to bow down and worship the statue. Now, this included all the Jews who had gone into exile into Babylon. Now, talk about peer pressure. When the band began to play, everybody was to hit the floor and worship the golden idol. And the king made it clear. You either worship the idol, you bow down, or you're going to burn. But what's interesting to me is what they were not forced to do. You see, it's not what they were forced to do, it's what they were not forced to do. They were not being forced to stop bowing down to their God. They could still bow down to their God. But they were being forced to bow down to the Babylonian gods. We see this very clearly as we read a little bit later in verses 12 and 14. The reason they got in trouble is not because they were worshiping their God, it was because they refused to give validity to the gods of Babylon. And the truth is, that's the same pressure we face today. It's called pluralism. Now, pluralism has a couple of different definitions. One definition means that, that different religions, different ideologies coexist peacefully in a place. And to that degree, we agree with that. We are thankful that we live in a land that has a First Amendment, a, an amendment that provides us freedom of religion. We as Christians believe that no one should be forced to give their life to Christ. It is a choice that you can make. It's a choice that you can accept. It's a choice that you can reject. You can believe what you want to believe. That's something that we hold dear. But the pluralism that we see today is different than that. You see, the pluralism we see today is not simply peacefully coexisting. The pluralism we see today is that we must not only acknowledge our God, we must give validity to their gods. We are given the freedom to hold on to our morals, our values, but we must give validity to their morals and their values. You see, we can remain committed to what we believe. And we are thankful that we have that freedom today. But 
they want us to bow down to what they believe. And understand, I'm thankful for the First Amendment, but we have a first commandment that we can't break. And the first commandment is there is no God but the one true God. And we can't bow down to any other God. And yet this is what was happening in Nebuchadnezzar's day in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar said, you don't have to stop bowing down to your Hebrew God. But if you want to live, you have to bow down to our God as well. And that's what we're facing today in America. People aren't telling us we can't worship Jesus. It's okay for us to worship Jesus. We just have to worship their God as well. And if we don't, we will be canceled. We will be ostracized. We will be put out of business. But understand, listen to me. Christianity is not just about bowing down to Jesus. Christianity is about only bowing down to Jesus. You see, our temptation isn't to stop bowing down to Jesus. I doubt there's hardly anyone in this room who is tempted to quit bowing down to Jesus. That's not how we're tempted. We are tempted as we bow down to Jesus to also bow down to the other gods in this world. But understand, Jesus doesn't want to be one God of many. Jesus doesn't want to be the greatest God of all. Jesus is the one and only God. And we cannot bow down to any other. Now, how does this play out in real life today? Well, let me give you a few scenarios if I can. So, you're a believer and you go to work and the place you work has some business practices that are unethical at best, immoral and illegal at worst. And here's what you're told. You can believe in Jesus all you want, but when you step foot on our property and you're on our clock, you have to do what we tell you to do or you're going to lose your job. And all of a sudden, the music starts playing and we have to decide, are we going to bow down to the gods of this world? Or how about this? You, you go to work or you go to school and after a while, you make friends, and as you make friends, you want to tell them about the most important thing in your life. You want to tell them about Jesus. And you start talking about Jesus to some of your friends, some of your co-workers, and all of a sudden, someone complains. And the boss, the principal, the dean, comes in and says, hey, you can believe what you want to when you're not at work, when you're not at school, but, but you can't talk about Jesus to other students, to other workers. Oh, you can cuss. You can talk about all of our political correct, social views. But if you talk about Jesus, you may lose your job. You may get kicked out of school. And all of a sudden, the music starts playing. And we have to decide, are we going to bow down or not? Or say this, you own a business. And you want to run your business based on Christian values Christian principles and someone comes to you and wants you to do something that you just can't do because it is in opposition to what you believe and because of that they turn you in and the city officials come and they say hey you can have your beliefs but if you want to have a business in our city you're going to have to do this and all of a sudden the music starts playing and you have to decide, 
am I going to bow down or not? Listen, we're not in danger of being executed in America right now. But if you refuse to bow down to the gods of this world, you can be ostracized, criticized, isolated, and you may even lose your job. They may try to shut your business down. You don't believe me? Look up Nini's Deli. Nini's Deli was a deli in Chicago, Illinois. One of the most popular restaurants in Chicago. NBA stars, NFL stars all frequented there. Actors, movie stars, they all came there. It was that kind of place. And the owner of Nini's Deli was a family that their lives were radically changed by Jesus. One of the brothers was delivered out of gang life. Another brother was delivered from homosexuality. But because they refused to cave in to some of the radical views of the far left, they were shut down. Their business was vandalized. They were protested. There was riots until they eventually had to shut down. They canceled out. Or, or what about the Christian florist, the Christian bakers, the Christians who own wedding venues that, that say, we believe in a biblical view of marriage. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Therefore, we can't have a part in, in, in a wedding ceremony between people who are not a man and a woman. We just It's against our religious beliefs. And the government comes after them. You don't believe me? <laughs> All you have to do is read the news. Or what about the Catholic organization in Pennsylvania that was doing a great work in having children adopted and fostered? Because this Catholic church organization refused to adopt children out to homosexuals or to foster children to homosexuals, the government in Pennsylvania tried to shut them down. Don't tell me those things aren't happening. They're happening every day. When you say Jesus is not just a Lord, he is Lord of all. When you begin to live your life based on Christian principles and values, this world in which we live will rise up in opposition to you. Don't believe me? Oprah, she's American's theologian. She's the theologian of America. This is what she said. There are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. I'm a free-thinking Christian. I don't know what that means, but I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes in my way but with 6 billion people here on the planet, it can't possibly be the only way. Well, Oprah, can I tell you, it's not me saying Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You're either going to stand with Oprah or you're going to stand with Jesus. You have to decide, who are you going to bow to? Or what about this? A couple of years ago, the dean at Stanford University forced a group of Christian students to stop trying to evangelize other students. 
The dean came to the students and said, you can have your Bible study, you can have your worship time, but you cannot try to convince other students that Jesus is the only way. And then this is what he said, and I quote, all faiths are equally valid as religions. Now that dean may have a lot of education, but he has no sense. Because truth is truth. And if Jesus is the truth, then those who know the truth want everyone to know the truth. You see, in our society, in our culture, it's fine to worship Jesus as long as you worship the gods of this world. But Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Did you get that? Amen? Oh, me? No one can serve two masters. Understand, there may be pluralism here on earth. There won't be pluralism in heaven. There's only going to be one on the throne, and his name is Jesus. And by the way, there's coming a day at the end of this age, we read about in Revelation 13, when another statue is going to be built. And everyone throughout the world at that point in history will be commanded to bow down to the statue or they will die. They will be put to death. Nebuchadnezzar, reborn. Babylon, reborn. If you want to avoid the fiery furnace, it's easy. Just bow down to the gods of this world. And you won't have to worry. Second, choose safety over commitment. Listen to what he says in verse 8 and following. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. Remember that happened in chapter 2. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But... If you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? That day on the plain of Dura, only three remained standing. There must have been thousands of people there with their faces in the dirt. But in the midst of them, there were three young Hebrew men. They may have still been teenagers who refused to bow down. And there were most likely other Jews there who had given in. They felt it was okay. They bowed down to their God, the Hebrew God, but they also bowed down to the gods of Babylon, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They remembered the first commandment. We cannot have any other God but you. Then you may be wondering, where was Daniel? What was Daniel doing? Did Daniel bow down? Well, obviously not. 
Maybe Daniel had been sent by Nebuchadnezzar on assignment. Maybe he was on stage and he didn't have to bow down. We don't know why he didn't have to face this test, but Daniel obviously didn't have to face this test. But three chapters later, trust me, he faced a test. Understand, we may not all face the same trials at the same time, but if you take a stand for Jesus, if you stand true on biblical values, one day, someday, your faith is going to be tested. Now look at verse 8. It says, but some informed on the Jews. Now, this part of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. It's not written in Hebrew. And in the Aramaic language, that word literally means chewed them up. And so these Babylonian leaders who were obviously jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego turned them in. Their desire was to destroy them. So Nebuchadnezzar brings them before him and said, I'm giving you one more chance. You can bow down and remain safe or you can stand up and be burned. Now, if we ever come to a situation like that, it's easy for us to reason in our mind why we should bow down. I mean, if we live, we can live to fight another day. I, I may be bowing down Physically, but I'm not bowing down spiritually. In my heart, I still have one God. We do all kind of things today to avoid persecution. But understand the Bible and history makes it clear that Christians will face persecution. In First, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, yes, everyone. Did you get that? Everyone. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. There's no exception there. Everyone, everybody, all, each and every one of us, at one time or another, if we seek to live a godly, righteous life, we're going to face persecution. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3, you know that we're destined to suffer persecution. All of the disciples but one died cruel deaths. The only one that wasn't was John, and they tried to kill John. They put him in a vat of boiling oil, and he wouldn't die. And so they exiled him to a prison island. Paul was beaten, imprisoned, eventually put to death. Throughout Christian history, we see that people that live out their faith without compromise face persecution. But somehow, some way, we've come to believe in America today that God wants us to be safe and God wants us to be comfortable. But I want you to listen very carefully. God doesn't call us to safety and comfort. He calls us to obedience and faithfulness regardless of the cost. And that has huge implications on how we live, what we say, and how we raise our kids. So if you want to avoid a fiery furnace, choose safety over commitment. But there's one final thing I want to hit real quick, and that's this. If you want to... Avoid a fiery furnace, worship God for what he can do rather than who he is. 
Listen to what it says beginning in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But, even if he doesn't, we want to make it very clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire word of God. You see, it's pretty easy to have a God will faith. But it's a lot harder to have a but if not faith. And that's the kind of faith Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. We have this skewed view of faith today. If I'm sick and I have enough faith, God will heal me. If I need money and I have enough faith, God will give it. If I want a husband or a wife and I have enough faith, man, there's going to be spouses raining down out of heaven. And I want you to hear me. I am thankful that God heals. I am thankful that God provides. And I am so thankful that God has provided me the wife that he has. But understand, faith isn't believing God is going to do what you want him to do. That's not faith. Faith is doing what God wants you to do and trust in him regardless of the consequences. Did you get that? Are you connecting with me? That's what faith is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that their God could deliver them. And they believed that God would deliver them. But they said, but if he doesn't, (laughs) we're not bowing down. We're not serving your gods. We're not going to bend to that golden idol. Our God is able, but if he doesn't, we are still going to serve him to our dying day. And that's what faith is. Faith isn't saying I'm going to follow God because of what he can do for me. Faith is following God because that gummit, he's God. He's the creator of all. And he has sent his son as the savior of sinful man. And he is worthy to be worshipped. And he's worthy to die for. So they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this, this fiery furnace. But I want you to notice what happened. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Over and over again we see his anger. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had an anger problem, amen? You ever met anybody like that? He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, 
Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. I got news for Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't a god. It was the god. It was Jesus Christ incarnate. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. They were thrown into the fire, but in the midst of the fire, they walked with Jesus. I want you to hear me. It's when you're willing to stand up and stand out and stand strong for Jesus regardless of the cost that you will discover intimacy with your Savior like never before. If we will remain faithful, we will face the fiery furnace. I'm here to tell you, if you remain faithful, you're going to face the fiery furnace. But in the furnace, you will experience intimacy with Christ. And i got to tell you, nothing is better than that. Whether you burn up or you don't. If you're with Jesus, it's worth it. And I want you to watch this. Not only did they survive, God was glorified. Look at the next verses, verses 28 and 29. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel. It wasn't an angel. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed doing those things, I believe. We see that, saw that in chapter 2, remember. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remained faithful in the midst of the fire. And what happened? God received glory. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was ready to kill all the wise men of Babylon, which would have included Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael would have included all of them. But God in heaven allowed them to interpret a dream. Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Nebuchadnezzar gave praise to the God of Daniel. Chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to the gods of Babylon. But they survived. And Nebuchadnezzar came out and he said, there is no one like their God. Now, was Nebuchadnezzar a believer? No, <laughs> he wasn't. He was still full of pride. We're going to see that next week, by the way. But hang on, I want you to hear me. God was working on Nebuchadnezzar. 
He was gradually touching his heart and his life. And the reason is because of the faithfulness of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to listen to me. When we are willing to stand true and stand tall for Jesus, regardless of the cost, against our culture, we may face persecution. But who knows? God may allow us to influence somebody who can influence the world. And we could see a revival. We could see God do something amazing. That's why it's so important for you and I to never give up, never compromise, always stand true on God's word with a humble heart. They had that. They were honoring the king always. They were never disrespectful, but they stood true for what they believed, and God used them. Two things you need to see. You stand true. God will use you. Second, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to worship the gods of this world, or you're going to worship the one true God. You can't worship both. And so my question for you today is twofold. Are you leveraging your influence for the glory of God by refusing to compromise and give in to the world? And second, are you sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you only have one master and his name is Jesus? I want you to bow your head with me right now and close your eyes. And with your head bowed, your eyes closed. With that first question, if you're here and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a believer, then I want to challenge you today to draw a line in the sand and make a commitment to live for Jesus, to share Jesus from this day forward, wherever it leads, whatever it costs. And don't do it with arrogance or pride, but do it with a humble and a gracious heart. But then if you're here and you've never totally surrendered completely to the one true God whose name is Jesus, then I want to encourage you today to throw away the gods of this world. Put them behind you. Take them off and bow down to Jesus alone and begin to serve him. If that's what you need to do today, if you've never truly done that, you've never humbled yourself to God, trusting Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, your Master, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now, wherever you are. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today, acknowledging that I've been living life my way. I've been living as if I were God. And I've been worshiping the gods of this world. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Today I'm placing my faith, my trust, my hope in you. I believe you came to this earth. 
I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. And right here, I'm giving my life to you. I'm giving you everything I am. Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now look.